Hey Rodney, did you know Slack's been a part of the Ready for as long as I have? You mean like back in the Bryant Park days? You know it. Even when there were only a couple of us working out of a cafe in Midtown, Slack is where we came together to tackle the future of work. Over eight years later, we're fully decentralized across eight time zones, and we still do it all with Slack. That's right, because it's the AI-powered platform for growing your business, keeping your teams connected, and making work legitimately simpler. Now you can get up to speed on a new project with one-click summaries or find exactly what you need, when you need it, with an AI-supercharged search function. It makes your day-to-day easier and gives you the freedom to focus on what really matters, your future. Grow your business without the grind in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is Brave New Work, a podcast about reinventing our organizations and the search for a more adaptive and human way of working. I'm Aaron Dignan, and I'm joined by my not-in-the-office-tomorrow colleague, co-host Rodney Evans. (laughs) everybody. On today's episode, we're going to talk about the four-day work week. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and check in. Okay, let's do it. So we'll begin this episode like our episodes always begin with a check-in round. And the one for today is what's the hardest thing you have ever tried to learn? Ugh. You go first. So for me, the one that was the most frustrating, quasi-embarrassing, and just frankly disheartening was trying to learn how to fence as an adult. <laughs> so when I when I when I lived in New York, oh, but the I, outfit. I know. I didn't get to wear the outfit. I didn't even earn that. Like you this were, was like a day one like, trial not lesson. Not for you. Not for you, sir. I yeah, I went to a fencing academy in New York when I lived there when I was maybe I don't know, 35, something like that. And I was like, I'm going to do this. This Mm -hmm. is cool. I'm going to be the guy from The Princess Bride when this is done. Sure, Wesley. And and I got in there and they were like, you need to do this and you need to do it this way and move your body this way. And literally by the middle of the lesson, I was like, I I literally don't think I can do this. Like I'm too old for this shit, which is a weird feeling for me because I'm usually good at learning things, like a Mm. diversity of things I can figure out. But this was just like, eh, not going to happen. So I actually bailed. Interesting. Because it was physically so taxing or like mentally? The mind-body connection Connection, required to do it was just not there. And I was like, am I going to do the work that it would take to unwind this? And it was kind of like, nah. It was like learning to write left-handed. That's what it felt like. Yeah, that's so funny. Also, one of my favorite Gilmore Girls episodes is when Paris and Rory fence. Chef's kiss. It's a really good one. Uh, That's hilarious. I wish that you had gotten to wear the outfit and that there were photos. For me, I mean, I've given up on so many things. (laughs) Who can choose? Um, But truly the thing that was indecipherable to me was trying to learn statistics in college. Mm. I am not bad at math. I'm very good at functional math. As you yes. know, I'm very good at looking at a PL and being like, something's missing from yes. this. I have good intuition around numbers and finance and investments. Statistics was truly accessing a part of my brain that I believe <laughs> to be dead. I'm just like, there must be a little a little black little spot in there, there the guy that, just where statistics up the, processes. Brooming out the, the closet there. Oof. My uh in college, I was ultimately given a passing grade by and you know, I'm not a I'm not a dumb kid. So this was the only time in my entire scholastic career so a professor said to me, like, you tried really hard and I don't <laughs> think it's gonna get better for you if you do this a again. For effort. So let's just move you through here. 
And I was like, I think we both recognize that. Let's just move on. I don't know if you know this, but the only course that I failed in college was statistics. Was it? And it wasn't necessarily because I don't do statistics well, because I think I'm actually okay at statistics. It's because it required lab time and you had to be there consistently. Yeah, you just couldn't. <laughs> so we I share mean... that. <laughs> we have a little something so in common. Funny. It's so funny that like I had the discipline to just be past even though I had no talent or ability and you were failed because you couldn't just show up. Yeah, that's about that right. Tracks. I mm-hmm. mean, in a way, our lives are just Plinko boards and I we know. just bounced <laughs> off the things that didn't work and landed <laughs> so on the <this> show. <laughs> Here we are. Okay, so today's topic, which is sort of related in a way, is the four-day work week. And I guess I want to start by asking you, where did the idea for this show come from? What's going on? Yeah. So it came from two places, the world and my life. <laughs> so this study has been published that is quite extensive and comprehensive about what has been going on in Iceland over several years of studying reduced working hours. And at the same time, I have been experimenting with a four-day work week since the beginning of 2021. And those things were unrelated to one another. But All of a sudden, it seems like there is quite a buzz around this. And so I thought it would be fun for us to talk both about systemically what's going on and how this relates to what has just happened pandemic-wise, and then also do a little bit more inside baseball to talk tactically about how this has worked at our company and, and maybe give people some ideas for how it might work at theirs. Yeah, I like it. It does seem like it's an of the moment thing, and I'm not sure if it's, you know, intersectional with the pandemic, kind of drawing, maybe not to a close, but kind of cooling off. And people have had all this work flex that they didn't have before. And now with the specter of back to office, it's like, "Mm, yeah, how do we get a little bit of a different balance here? Yeah. I mean, I think that's one side of it. And then the other side of that coin, like we were talking to Anne Helen Peterson about recently on an episode is the flip side of that, which is people working their asses off during the pandemic and now having these like existential crises that yeah. are like, I'm not, I I can't do that. I can't do that thing that I've been doing. Yeah. So I think it's like a perfect storm in many ways of yeah. the call to back to office, the world opening back up, maybe only temporarily, unfortunately. And then also what people have been through and the ways in which that's led us to re-examine our routines. Yeah. And it is certainly a hot button. I had a, a colleague on the murmur side tweet about this recently and basically say like, what would each weekend day be for mm. if you had three? Yes. And it got retweeted 10,000 times. It was an absolutely nuclear announcement and it got pulled over to Instagram and TikTok. And I mean, people want to talk about this. Yes. I mean, intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. So let's just start with some definition of terms. Like people are banding about the four day work week thing as an idea. A lot of what was in the Icelandic experience was actually about reduced hours to 35 or 36, which isn't exactly a four-day work Uh week, but uh it makes for a good headline. So different experiments look different to different people in different orgs and might necessitate or require different things. What do you think is sort of the big picture goal that proponents of this thing are advocating for? And what all do you think falls under the quote-unquote four-day work week umbrella? 
Well, I think there are different camps. So there's one camp that wants a three-day weekend is what they want. Yeah. And so sure. they're like, look, I'll work for 10-hour days. I'll work for eight-hour days. I'll, like, you tell me, but I want to have Friday, Saturday, and Sunday off or mm-hmm. Saturday, Sunday, and Monday off because I need a day to decompress. I need a day to get my stuff done. I need a day to get ready to go back to the office, et cetera. Like, they have, they have a plan for the off time. Yep. And then there's another camp that's, no, the problem here is just the human mind can't do sustained effort for more than X hours in a day. Mm-hmm. And, and actually, when you really get into the science of that, of like dedicated, focused effort, it's actually quite a small number. It's, so it's like short. three <laughs> or four hours a day. You know, it's not Max. it's not yeah. even eight or 10. Right. So yeah. so there's one camp, I think, that's just like, let's just reduce the total hour load at work, but we can spread it out over five days still if we want to, or we can. Co- it doesn't really matter. But what matters is how long we're working in a given uh, week and how long we're working in a given day. Mm-hmm. And then I think the last camp that I will briefly touch on now, but come back to as a soapbox later, is just the flexible work camp, which mm-hmm. is just we need more mm-hmm. options and more time and more ability to say like, you know what, I don't work on Thursdays, you don't work on Tuesdays. And that that kind of goes into the almost self-management side of this. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's right. And And the only thing I'd add, which is, I I would say are probably our personal (laughs) advocation is the idea that this, this structure comes from a different time, right? And a 40 hour work week that is during daylight hours and is (laughs) usually during specific daylight hours and is consistent for everyone in every industry doing every type of work doesn't necessarily have any relationship to what work is today. And now, you know, we have, now we have stores that are open 24 hours a day. That didn't exist when the 40 hour work week came uh, on, on board. Now we have e-commerce. Now we have knowledge work. It's like this, this to me feels as much of a factory floor trapping as anything else we talk about on earth, which is, this is a thing that was created such a long time ago that had to do with daylight and unionization. <laughs> and and those things probably aren't the number one and two design principles for most of us now. Yeah. What is so funny is that I'm glad you mentioned that. I, I actually wrote a, a hidden chapter of Brave New Work that got shelved. Did you? That was about the 40-hour work week. No shit. Well, you better tell us about the history of it then. Yeah. Well, I don't want to get, I mean, it got cut for a reason, right? It's kind of dry <laughs> toast. But I think I think the like punchline is there was a movement around that time, both from the labor force side, who was actually doing analytics on what produced, you know, positive outcomes and productivity and what caused diminishing returns for people. Mm-hmm. And so they had science that basically said, look, if you work someone longer than this many hours a week, you're not going to get a lot of extra value. Mm-hmm. And then it was factory floor barons like Henry Ford and others that were like, you know what, I can I can read the science, I can use data. And if I'm going to get a better value in terms mm-hmm. of productivity out of people, then I'm going to take that. I'm going to yep. take that value. And of course, now we have a kind of a story of about how it's like, oh, well, Ford said they won't have a day to buy my cars if they're uh, you know working here six days a week. That's cute. But I think the bigger story was like, I can get more juice from the orange for less money if I round down to the 40 hour work week. Sure. And so I do think, yeah, historical precedent was the same data science that I think now is showing us maybe there's a different story. And so it's it's actually like a century long progression to understanding what human productivity looks like. And I think to your point, the big fulcrum in that was the shift from factory work 
which is rote and repetitive and frankly maybe can be done at a higher level of productivity for a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. versus this creative, complex, judgment-based human work now that most of us do, not all, but many, Mm -hmm. that like, yeah, you're not going to do eight hours of creative writing for your TV show, you know? Right. It's just not going to happen. Right, right. So can I... Can I ask you to talk about the reaction to this? So, because you're always, you always have your finger on the pulse of what are the haters saying? Yeah. And so when we look at the four hour work week proposition, what have you seen or heard or sensed about the folks that are just like, no, nah, that's never going to work? Yeah. It's a lot of the same things that we see in response to anything else that is new <laughs> or modern or of future of work or really our whole day and life and purpose in this world. So first of all, let me just say it's very tempting for me to spend Wednesdays becoming a Twitter troll because all I want to do is respond to people. I saw a tweet this morning from some absolute knob who was like, <laughs> people have the freedom to choose their working schedules But then they also have to live with the consequence of being left in the dust by those of us working nine to six, six days a week. (laughs) And I seriously just wanted to be like, fuck off down the road, bro. It's so... (laughs) I mean, look, the hustle culture that is pervasive in a lot of places, but certainly in America, where we have glamorized the idea of working until you drop, not out of necessity, not to put food on the table, not for financial security, but just because it is a measure of like our Puritan hardness is bananas. Like it's, (laughs) it's bananas. But the, the flip side of that is, is we do have a lot of people on platforms who are just like, don't be soft is basically the message. The backlash is basically don't be soft. And there was a really interesting article that our former guest and Helen Peterson wrote in her Substack about people in companies who have been trying this and though it is working for them and productivity has increased and all the business metrics are looking really good they don't want their names printed because of the shame yeah. the shame of working <laughs> four days so i think it just it says something about the cultural zeitgeist of america that businesses would be ashamed to say we are getting more with less. Yeah, we're not doing the most. We're not doing the most. And so I think that's what the haters say. And look, there is also, if you click a little bit deeper into the psychology of that, there's the thing where power holders don't want to have to make accommodations. So they want to be able to say to their, they want to be able to walk out of their office and see everybody with their butts in their chairs at their cubes at 5 p.m. and say, I want to have an impromptu meeting right now because an idea just occurred to me right now. Everybody gather. And the reality is when you start to have any kind of flexibility or self-management in terms of schedule, you limit someone's ability to have exactly what they want right now. And I think that that is part of the sort of the germ or the seed of the fear is actually that the way of working, if it's chaotic or bureaucratic, it, it doesn't conform well to the four-day work That's week. That's right, because right? it takes discipline. You can discipline. only <laughs> do the four-day work week well if you have a healthy OS, right? That's right. Otherwise, all the wasted time and energy, that it, like, it takes five days just to wade through the shit you have to wade through That's to get right. anything even remotely close to done. Yeah. So that actually the... You know, the four-day work week that's actually happening for most corporate soldiers is happening from 5 p.m. to 10 p.m. That's right. 
and and the rest of the day is just wasted. It's just nonsense. It's just performative <laughs> bureaucratic antics. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think when you hear the counter arguments to the four day work week that immediately crop up, it is usually things that are a trapping of a borked OS. Yeah. So people are like, "What about our meetings? You're just not going to attend." And it's like, "Well, are they shitty? I bet they are." Yeah. Who needs to have five days worth of meetings? That's insane. Right. You should be working. Go back to work. Or, you know, we have a current client and someone just told me the other day that upon returning from one week out of the office, she had 17,000 unread emails. Stop it. 17,000. How can that even be possible if you just had a monkey at a keyboard sending send every (laughs) moment of the day? I don't know how you did that many. You know, a lot of reply alls, a lot of... A lot of hundred person meetings. Lord have mercy. So it's like when someone say in that organization says we can't go to a five day work week. It's like, well, you can't really do anything, to be honest. You can't go to a potluck. (laughs) That's crazy. Right. And it's like and and like so many new ways of working that we practice and instantiate and talk about. Well, is the way that you're doing it now working? Because I'm not sure that one less day is really the problem. Yeah. I'm not sure that five days is serving you super well either. Yeah. Or the fact that people at the same company are using their vacation time to get themselves out of email debt. Yeah. yeah. It's like, okay, well, we've got we've got other problems that are not this schedule. So just for balance, let me offer a slight counterpoint. Just Uh-oh. to see how okay. you... How you we dance never fight on this show, and we should. I know, right? It'll be more fun. So here's, I, I would have been, I would not have had a counterpoint at all had I not dealt with the the spin-up of Murmur this year. Yeah. And here's what I've noticed about the category. And I don't think it's, this is not a refutation of the four-day work week, but it is a nuance. And here's the nuance. When you're starting something completely new, there is a benefit that seems to accrue to teams that have the privilege and identities that allow them to dip in and out of work all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what I notice is, I notice teams that are made up of predominantly young white men mm-hmm. who are basically able to just tap dance in and out of the working space and mindset without any distractions or things pulling them away from that seven days a week. Sure. And what that means is that over the course of a year, they might actually get more done. Because the like early buildup is just a lot of ship, 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 ship. It's a lot of doing everything for the first time, often sloppily, often messily. Mm-hmm. I can't shake the feeling that there does seem to be some kind of a benefit that occurs for teams that don't have other things to do. Mm-hmm. And and it's weird because I do. I mean, I have I have family, I have hobbies, I have you know, I have a lot of other things to do. And I do I do sometimes against my own sort of principles, values, and knowledge of the data look over the fence at the 20-something living in a house together, literally working seven days a week, and be like, ah, must be nice yeah. to just scratch at that problem after dinner and, sure. and sort of not have to look away unless you feel like it. Right. So to me, this gets at the crux of the flip that we're talking about. Yeah. Because on the one hand... Of course, of course, what you're saying <laughs> makes total sense because of because what you're what you're describing is basically convenience. It's yeah. like the convenience and the shortness of of whatever pops into my head. The distance point between a that and work. to B of <laughs> making that thing or finishing that thing, and I understand why there's benefit to that. However, I do think a retooling of that 
over time provides more benefit. Mm -hmm. So what I have noticed as someone who, you know, probably has a lifestyle more like a 25 year old white guy than most people (laughs) who look more like me is that the discipline that comes with a shortened work week forces you to do better work. Right. And I don't do everything. I don't tinker all the time. Yep. I don't believe that every idea I have is gold. I actually investigate things a little bit because I have to. Yep. Yep. And I would question those who are just are grinding or are tinkering or are dipping in and out constantly. Are they investigating whether it's the highest and best use of their time? Um, You know, having having worked in and around startups, I see a lot of waste in that. And I see a lot of wasted tinkering and a, a lack of prioritization and a lack of focus and a lack of discipline. And I guess my question is, like everything else, what's the outcome that you're after? Mm-hmm. And if the outcome is shipping, is that really required to ship? Right. Right. I'm willing to bet it's not, but it would probably require some different patterns. Yeah, that makes sense. And the reason, my reason why I don't really entertain thoughts of working in that way or asking others to is that I don't like the foundational precedent that it sets for the culture later. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's of any use later. Yeah. So it's sort it of like, even well. if it is valuable in year one, if you start it, then then it becomes the norm. And then you've planted all these roots in your garden that are fundamentally going to be toxic in the long term. And then, <laughs> you know what I mean? And then you see those yeah. companies, right, that fall from grace because they've become sweatshops, essentially. Yeah. So I do, I think it has its comeuppance later in the story, yeah. but it, I can see how our listeners might occasionally side-eye that and be like, eh. Yeah. Well, yeah. and there's also, everything has a season, right? I, I don't, I'm not a big believer that like, that's the way for the first year, but certainly there are points in every year for most of us who do jobs that we care deeply about where something is on our mind all the time. Like, right. I early in this podcast, I had ideas for episodes in my dream. <laughs> it, you know, that th- those things happen. There are times in life where you wake up on Sunday morning and go write an article because you can't stop thinking about it. But to me, that's not that's not a lifelong habit to feed. Yep. That makes sense. Yeah. So I think we should tell the audience about your four day work week. Okay. What led to it? How is it going? How did you design it? What would you recommend to others? Would you yeah. Would you recommend to a friend? <laughs> uh, you know, the NPS score on this <laughs> experiment is very high. So in 2020, a year that many of us have heard of and would like to forget about, I, I was working a lot. I worked a lot. I worked all the time. And in the lead up to that, I was traveling a lot. And then in 2020, I was working all the time. And so the pandemic and quarantine started. And like a lot of people, I just worked more. I just worked all the time because I didn't have anything to do. And I wasn't particularly delighted by boredom. And I couldn't see my friends. And I just was like, fuck it. I'm going to work. And I, in thinking about this episode looked back and I took one vacation in 2020 and it was when we had friends visiting. And other than that, I really didn't even like take a day off here or there. So (laughs) what that led to over time, and that was just to be very clear, that was self-imposed. Right. No one was saying I needed to do that. No client was being difficult or unreasonable. I just did not have shit to do. And I let work sort of overtake 
my life. And what I realized when a, I had a big project that that concluded at the end of 2020 and going into 2021, I was like, I am using work as a distraction from what's going on in the world. Right. It's making me worse at my job and also worse as a person. And it's time to steer into this skid rather yeah. than avoiding it. So rather than just taking on more, I'm going to make more space for boredom and discomfort and really figure out how to have space that I can't just fill with busyness. Mm-hmm. And so it, as it, it very coincidentally worked out when I started looking at my calendar in January that I had no recurring meetings on Wednesdays. And I was like, I'm going to block six of these and see what happens if I just don't work on Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. And now it's July. And I think <laughs> I've worked two Wednesdays this year. Wow. Yeah. So I'm curious because I've been, I guess, lightly impacted by this, but I haven't really known every exact detail of how it works. And so can you talk a little bit about how you thought about and approached things like how you get paid, how you meet with, you know, your teams or project teams or colleagues, any other kind of structural changes that you had to make or norms or guidelines you had to set up with with folks that you work with? Yeah. So because it came at a time that I was wrapping up a dedicated transformation project, I opted not to start another one of those. I do think that when I do another dedicated project, this will be challenging. I'm I'm going to figure it out cuz I'm not giving <laughs> it up, but it will be challenging. So what it what it looked like very tactically for me was that I am taking less money. I don't have to, but I I want to. For me psychologically, it feels right because it's not something that we've done organizationally and it's not something that other people are doing. And are you taking less money because you prorated stuff that you do or taking less money because you just didn't take on more client work or how how did that actually The work? latter. The latter. Got so it. basically all of the roles that I have been holding are not dedicated roles either internally or for right. clients. So they're all things that can be done in fractions of the week. And I have not taken on anything that looks or smells like something that's a dedicated role. And so that does mean less money, but I'm not like prorating, you know, my hiring money. Right. The compromise is more like, I'm just not going to take on work that would force a Wednesday. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. Okay. And how have you worked that out with colleagues who are like, hey, we're doing a jam on Wednesday, or we need you, or we need your advice, or, you know, getting Slack messages, ding, 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 ding. So what's interesting is this is where the mental or emotional work, I think, comes in. And to me, like with a lot of new ways of working, when people have immediate negative reactions to an idea, there is often something uncomfortable underneath it that's Mm. going on internally. And what is going on for me or has gone on for me internally is two things. One is I am a very conscientious and ambitious person. And so I have to be steadfast in the knowledge that I am better this way, (laughs) even when people ask me to do things. I've gotten a Slack message since we started recording about scheduling a meeting for tomorrow. Really? And I will say no, because we got, because a potential client said Wednesday is the day that's good for me. Those are the moments, right? It's it's a it's a business development call. It's a potential sale for the ready. I'm traveling 
after that. It's going to be hard to schedule. Those are the moments where it's really difficult to say no yeah, because it's so easy to go. It's a half an hour out of the day. But you know what? It's not a half an hour out of the day because right. your day then is a work day it, the, right. because the, the lead up to it, you're thinking about it afterward. You're it. Having a, it, it just, I have to be pretty like protective and pretty specific. Right, because we're all addicts. And so That's the right. idea is you're on the wagon or you're off the wagon. You're off the wagon. That's right. <laughs> so the work for me is holding those boundaries and and being steadfast in that and having really honest conversations with people about it to say like, look, this is really important to me and I am willing to not be part of this. Yep. So what that ends up looking like in a marketplace model like the one that we have is I have to have a lot of confidence that I'm able to contribute in a way that supports my reputation and my ability to do good work in the world in four days. And that what I have to contribute and the skill sets that I have to offer are valuable enough to people that they'll work around my schedule. Right, right. And if they're not, that it's not something that's that important for me. I had a conversation with the training team. They wanted me to do a thing. The training rhythm is Wednesdays. I was like, you guys can move this to a different day or you can get someone else. They were like, we'll get someone else. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe that's That's not a thing I needed to do. Well, in a way, I mean, often leadership coaching starts with this idea of do the things that only you can do. That's right. right. And, And delegate or distribute authority around the rest. And for most of us, that's hard because our self-assessment of what only we can do is pretty rich. So many things. And so what's nice is this is a way to test that, right? right. Like, do you, you know, are you willing to proceed without me is a really good clue about whether it is actually something that only you can do or not. So I really like that. Yeah. And it's, and that it all comes down to preference, right? Like in that moment, they would have preferred that I did it, but their preference for Wednesday was stronger than their preference preference for for me. Yep. That's totally fine. I can definitely live with that, but it takes some adjustment. (laughs) Now, how do you think ahead about if everyone were doing this? What are the complications of everyone doing it on a day of their choice versus on the same day? Yeah, well, this is where having an operating rhythm, I think, is really useful. So in a system like ours, which is small, but I can easily apply this more broadly. Yeah. I think you have to have a rhythm that is scheduled, that is predicted, that we don't negotiate away from, that people can plan around. So that might look like cross-functional meetings on Fridays. That might look like weekly team meetings on Mondays. And probably those aren't days that people can be out. Like we have to have some consistency. I would never have made Friday be my day because... Friday is a day that is pretty sacred in terms of operating rhythm at the ready and in terms of of team project meetings. So I often have two or three advisory or retrospective meetings on Friday afternoons. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I would never ask a team to like (laughs) upend their op rhythm because I don't feel (laughs) like it on Fridays. So I think that you have to get the op rhythm for the cross-functional or the big stuff dialed in and scheduled out. And then I think at the team level, you have more flexibility from there because yeah. at the team level, maybe we only have one day that's shared and then we have three days to play with. There's one yeah. day that's organizational. There's one day that's our team rhythm. And then we have three days to play with. And if anything, I think that gives us more flexibility because then it's like, okay, well, if, if Alistair wants to 
not to work on Thursdays and I want to not work on Wednesdays. Now we're, we're covering in interesting ways and we're, we're probably doing more dynamic teaming than if we're just both around all the time. Yeah. It's funny. I'm getting a major like spidey sense reaction to what you're saying. That's reminding me of the remote work episode. Oh, really? Yeah. How so? Like, well, because a lot of what we we're talking about with remote work was like, when are you going to be in the office? And the idea yeah. was similar. It was like, let's have a rhythm for the global organization where we do this every month. Let's have a yeah. rhythm. For, and then let's let the teams decide what their you know pattern looks like. Mm-hmm. And so I actually see a lot of, of connection between these two ideas, right? Yeah. How you do a 40 work week well, how you do remote work well they're probably going to be arriving on the, on the calendar in similar patterns. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, look, I, we'll see when I'm doing a dedicated client project again, but I do, I suspect that it's quite workable. And, and the other thing is, at a very principles level, and I would challenge organizations out in the world, think about this. You know, one part of doing the kind of work that we do is experimenting with future of work practices. And this is one of them. This is a thing that is in the ether. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I... I'm not going to be so glib as to be like, you know, I'm a fucking hero for working one less day a week. But I did think at the time that I ran this experiment about the fact that this to me does feel like the future of work. And if no one at the ready is trying it, then who is? Yeah. Yeah. So talk briefly about the benefits. What have you noticed? Oh, my God. So many benefits. So <laughs> I really reflected on this before we came here. Oh, good. And what, what is amazing to me is how many benefits have accumulated that I wasn't even thinking about mm. until I really reflected. Bonus. So there, there, are some, there are some sort of life rhythm things that I notice. My sleep is, I mean, I would say 60% better than it wow. was last year. It's like uh, amazingly good and in- uninterrupted. And I'm not doing activities to recover that are unhealthy. Mm-hmm. So because I have a tendency to overwork, I also had a tendency to like have a bourbon after work because I was just like, I have to turn off my brain. And the way I'm going to do that is by like having a bourbon and watching a movie and zoning out. I don't really have a need to do those things. Right. Because I don't ever really feel tapped anymore. So I don't have this pendulum swing of super intensity followed by super shutdown. I I just don't I don't need to. I don't have anything that I have to recover from. Right. Because right. I'm not working 12 hours a day for five days in a row. So it's just more sustainable. It's just really sustainable. And so, and 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 of course, those kinds of habits of like drinking alcohol or sitting on your ass after sitting for 10 hours in front of a screen, like those things just beget more exhaustion, not more productivity. They're not actually recovering activities. So I think from a lifestyle perspective, I'm just like, I am better and I'm on kind of all the time in a, in a great way, because I'm not like a husk of a human being. Right. And then, and then from a work perspective, and I know, you know, like people like Joel at Buffer are talking about how they're not doing this for productivity's sake. And I appreciate people saying that out loud. And also I will say personally, I just don't procrastinate. Right. Like I can't. And, and the, the punishment for procrastination is 
self-inflicted punishment that I do not want to endure. So it's like, (laughs) if I don't write the thing that I need to write for the growth team, I have to work on Wednesday to get it done because I know I need to ship it by Friday. My Thursday is bonkers. I don't want that punishment. So I just do not fuck around. I don't fuck around at all. I remember when you told me that effectively you have two Fridays, like two deadlines. Right. And it is kind of a clever idea because we all know that feeling. I mean, for some people, it might not be Friday, but we all know the feeling of the day before the deadline. That's right. Where you just crank. Yeah, the day before and, vacation is the most productive day of the year. Yeah, and then and then to have two of those every yeah. week is kind of fun. Two Fridays. So I ship way more. I don't procrastinate. My to-do list, I think, has never been shorter. I'm just like getting through a ton. But also, I find that where I do need to do things at odd hours or at weekends, I'm not butthurt about it. Because I don't feel so tapped. So it's like, as we were recording the course, most of us recorded every Sunday. Mm -hmm. If I had been on the schedule I was on in 2020 and then had had to spend a couple hours on Sunday working, I would have been murderous. Yeah. Like, no one would have liked that version of me. I brought Bureaucracy Goat for that. Yeah. So good. But... (laughs) I think when you have a little bit of slack in your life and in your brain and in your heart, those things aren't a big deal. So, you know, last night I didn't get a lot of sleep because Ed got up at five o'clock in the morning. And so I just like got up and read a book and and got ready for today and read some articles about four day work weeks. And I wasn't like mad about it because I'm not staring down the barrel of four more 12 hour days back to back. Yeah. I would be curious to hear from your perspective, what have you noticed? So I'm I'm a single human running a single experiment inside a complex system, and you are someone I collaborate closely with on a variety of different things. How do you think that this experiment has impacted you or the company or, I don't know, what do you see? Well, I mean, I think my first observation... Which, it, which I don't want you to interpret as a compliment or a criticism, is, <laughs> oh, that, I, is that I often don't notice. Nice. That's you know, I a think, compliment. I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of weeks that go by where it's sort of way back in my consciousness. And it only really comes rushing back to the surface when I try to do something on a Wednesday. And you're like, dude, I don't work on Wednesdays. Uh-huh. And then I'm like, oh, yeah. So there's a mild, brief perturbation when that happens where I'm like, ah, frustrated and then I'm over it about 10 seconds later and then it's back to normal life and for two more weeks I won't think of it at all (laughs) and then I think the the other definite noticeable benefit has been in the way you show up Mm because I do feel like I've sensed at least at least intuitively and probably explicitly some of the like emotional and also productivity gains and just Mm. general energy that you're describing there's no question that that you know if you drew a picture of before and after, it is palpable. Mm-hmm. And so I think that is cool. Is It just feels like there's more gas in the tank, which is really nice. And especially nice because, you know, I'm spending a lot of gas right now. And so it's cool to, to be met with that level of energy. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That's cool yeah. to hear. And it's it's something that I notice on the other side where there was a time at the ready where when I needed to make up for other people's, you know, lack of capacity or lack of focus or lack of whatever, 
I would have had some level of resentment around that. Mm-hmm. And now I just find myself, I just feel like I'm a hammer and I'm just like, what else around here needs fixing? And I just like kind of do it and then sort of say to people like, you seem really busy. So I just wrote that thing or like, you seem really busy. So I just cleaned up that notion page or like you never responded to this. So I just did it. And yeah. like two instance, people have been like, oh my God, thank you. Yeah. I don't even know what day it is. Yeah. Yeah. It, there's a power washer vibe. Yeah. Yeah, but like, I'm not mad about it. I'm just like, I I have enough juice to just do it. There's enough peanut butter to just spread it around. Yeah. So I feel like the experiment is a success. Great. Let's do it forever. So (laughs) um, (laughs) great. I will see you never on a Wednesday again, except next week when I will actually see you in human person. So let's talk a little bit from an org level because... I do think from everything that I've read, there's, of course, there's a lot of either or thinking and this provocation gets put out there and there's a camp of people who are like, not for us, not for this, not for this industry, not for this kind of worker, not for this, whatever. It's only for these people. It's only for these weirdos. It's only for tech. It's only for remote. It's only for this. It's only for that. This is my Fosbury flop anecdote, you know, writ large, which maybe you should tell because maybe not everyone knows the anecdote but then also i would just be curious to hear who you think it's good for right well yeah so the the 30 second summary on the fosbury flap anecdote is that at the end of brave new work uh, at the end of one of the sections i talk about how the high jump used to be done head first and forwards and you landed on your feet and then a gentleman named dick fosbury started going over head first and backwards and won the olympics and broke the world record for the olympic high jump and and a lot of the stories about that are about innovation and about thinking differently and all that kind of stuff. But the part I like is that most of the competitors and sort of the market as a whole was like, eh, works for him, won't work for us. Mm. And and just to be aware that we do that a lot, you know, yeah. that's the thing we always do. And and you know, sometimes we're right, but most of the time we're we're probably missing out on something. Yeah. And so I do think that's going on here. And I think you know, if you're complexity conscious, the only way to find out is to try to have a, you know, a Rodney do an experiment and see what happens or a team or a unit or a division do an experiment and learn. And, and that is already happening. I mean, I think the good news for who this applies to is that we're seeing pretty serious, large scale adoptions of this. Mm -hmm. So I have a, a quote here in front of me from the Atlantic about kill the five day work week. And the quote reads over the past couple of years, companies and governments around the world have become more open to the possibility that a four day work week could be better for businesses and people who make them run. And before the pandemic, Microsoft Japan and the burger chain Shake Shack tried the schedule, the four day work week out with some employees with positive results. The international conglomerate Unilever's New Zealand offices are currently in the middle of a year-long four-day experiment, the results of which could inform the schedules of the company's 155,000 employees worldwide. And the governments of Spain and Scotland are also planning trials that would subsidize employers that give workers an additional day off. So I feel like there's a lot of energy and momentum here, and in some ways it probably has a similar vibe to that point in history 110 years ago mm. when they were having this combo about the 40-hour work week and people were up in arms. Yeah. Like, we should work people to the absolute bone was yeah. the thesis. And then the 40-hour work week really challenged that. So maybe we're just reliving history like we always do. Oh, wow. That's kind of mind-blowing. <laughs> to answer your question about who it's for and scale, 
I don't see a reason why it can't apply in almost any industry vertical, you know, geography situation. Mm -hmm. Certainly there are industries that already do this, right? If you work a late shift, if you're an ER doctor, like there are definitely roles where we know that the, that the demand on the person is too high and we, and we tend to do it in, in different doses. Yeah. So I think the idea here is just try it out. There certainly is no reason that a large system, a small system, or any particular industry couldn't benefit from this because of the simple fact that it's based on human psychology and physiology. Mm -hmm. Like you still have humans working for you, right? Well, then they're going to be benefiting from this in the same way as humans anywhere else. Yeah. All systems that have humans have that in common. And there's another thing that hopefully more different types of workers have in common now than they did a hundred years ago, which Mm -hmm. is that we are no longer in good organizations trying to separate the thinking from the doing. Right. And so there was a time where maybe the move was to be like so extractive around the people on the front lines because we don't need them coming up with any new ideas. Mm-hmm, and now, mm-hmm. at least if you're, you know, if you're the people that this particular, the people in this particular choir, the song is push authority to the edge, give decision making ability to the people in the context serving the customer making contact with the market and listen to those people in terms of intel like if you're going to have a data-led organization get the data from the people who are close to where the real work happens or where the real value is created and so if you fundamentally believe that everyone's job is to both do the job and think about the job then ideally we're not parsing and saying it's only for the thinkers or yeah. it's only for the leaders or it's only for the people managers. Ideally, we want everyone to be doing the best cognitive work that they possibly can do as well as making it through the day physically. I love that. And and it actually makes me think of putting a Jedi lens on this conversation as a whole, mm. which is not only who does it include in terms of thinking work or executional work, but also what other kinds of roles, identities, statuses in culture might not benefit from this or might be challenged to take advantage of it or might have a different, you know, experience of of this kind of option, whether it be through reduced hours without a wage increase, whether it be trying to manage, you know, professions like teaching or nannies or things like that, where maybe there isn't a way to make it work. And so mm-hmm. not everyone can benefit from from a government policy. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about that, but it does occur to me that this is definitely something that's going to start as a pattern in white collar knowledge work. And I'm not sure where it's going to end, but along the way, maybe we need to you know, be mindful of, of who all is benefiting and not benefiting from it. Yeah, I certainly think it's a watch out. And also, it has to start somewhere. <laughs> and... Even in the instances that you named off the top of your head, I can start thinking about creative solutions. Like yeah. there is job sharing. There there could be something like UBI. Like there is a bunch of scaffolding that could make this sort of arrangement or or just or just less work generally. Yeah. Possible in most places, but it would take probably more social net on one end of the spectrum than we than we have in this country right now. Well, and it's funny because I think the full kind of cultural capitulation to the 40-hour work week was not that disentangled from the New Deal. Mm -hmm. And so I think it could be that this moment leads up to a similar 
mm. peak where it's like, oh, you know what? In order to fully enact this idea, we're going to need some different social safety nets. We're going to need a new New Deal. And and I, you know, so far I haven't seen enough in the Green New Deal, for example, that would fully enable something like this. But it's not hard to imagine, to your point. And I, I could see us getting there fairly rapidly. And it's the way that we need to be going regardless of working hours as mandated by the government or any other organization. So <laughs> hopefully this will be a lever that that helps shove us in that direction. Yeah, if nothing else, I feel like, and I always come back to this, but the challenges we face as a, as a series of generations right now would really benefit from some people that are well-rested, mm. energetic, ah. ready to hit the ground running, you know, able to use their best selves against the problems and challenges and not a generation of people that are just burned out. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. look, if we're working and living in probably a, an order of magnitude of complexity unseen in human history, having a bunch of people who are burnt out and can no longer appreciate or sit with nuance or polarity is not ideal. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly how we get the, the results that we don't want. So <laughs> exactly. I think it's I'm actually more fired up. <laughs> yeah, I'm more fired up to advocate for, for this and things like this, yeah. I think, coming out of this conversation than when we went in. And that, to me, feels like a pretty good place to draw things to a close. When you have me convinced, it's time to stop the sale. <laughs> stop talking when everybody's <laughs> on your side. I love it. If you all love this podcast, please do follow us, subscribe, forward the show or leave us a review yes and there have been some good ones lately uh, a quick tip of the hat to taylor marvin for making us sound good brave new work is produced by the ready where we help organizations around the world change the way they work four or five days a week <laughs> you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at the ready.com and as for you thanks for listening now go change something or take the day off 